Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today we are excited to have back on the show Brandy Williams, who is a Wiccan high priestess, a pagan magician, and a tantric yogini. She's also the author of at least five books I know, including two which we're going to touch base with today an older book of hers, The Woman Magician, and her latest book, Cord Magic. I also want to mention a few more things about her bio, uh, because she's really fascinating. She is an elder in the coven of the mystical Herkaba, which was founded in 1984. She's worked with the Golden Dawn Group Temple of Light and Darkness and with OTO, and she meets regularly with the Theragy Forum, which brings teachers of Theragy together in public conversation. She currently studies Sri Vidya with a private teacher, and she teaches at magical conferences in person around the country and virtually around the world. She's also a master gardener and lives with two partners, three cats, and a dog. So we're really excited to have her back on the show. We get her all to herself this time. She was on our special, as you will remember. But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody, and welcome again to our show. We're really happy to have you guys here. Um, we've got a couple of great guests still coming up this month. Next week, we have Dr. George Schwimmer coming back, Krista's dad. And he's going to be doing the second part of Doppelganger. He'll be looking at um, his theories about whether JFK was killed by Lee Harvey, Harvey Oswald or whether it was an impersonator. And so that's really always fascinating to have him on. And, and then at the end of the month, we have Jason Miller, who's an, an incredible occult scholar and author and in ceremonial magic circles and so forth. So lots of occult stuff this month, which is going to be a lot of fun. And then we are lining up our guests for August. We'll have more information on that coming up in a little bit. Um, just keep track of everything on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-A-X-T-H, all spelled out. Um, and while you're there, if you can afford it, buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi. It really makes a difference, helps us cover our production cost a little bit. You can subscribe to our newsletter as well. And uh, we just love having you guys here. So I'm not going to take up too much time because I know that this is a great guest and a fascinating topic and lots to cover. So I'm going to kick it back to you, Krista. So take it away, Krista. Great. Thank you, Michael. I just wanted to add one thing about Dad's show. He's going to be talk talking more about the FBI and the CIA potential involvement in Oswald this time. So to follow up on the first show. So anyway, back to our show today. Welcome, Brandy. Hi, thank you so much for having me back again. I had so much fun the first time, and I'm really excited to talk about this this subject. We are so happy to have you, honestly, and I, I think it's so cool. Here's actually the book for the, those of you watching The Woman Magician. Here's my copy of it, which I bought probably when it came out, which was, what, a decade ago? Ten years ago, yep, this 10-year anniversary, yep. So, so why did you decide to write this kind of a book? Well, I've always been 
a gender questioning person and moving into magic, I looked to, to magic, to witchcraft and to ceremonial magic to, to give me power. But the, the roles of women were restrictive, just like the roles of women in culture were restrictive. And so I started questioning that and working with other people who were questioning that. But I was very young. I was a, a teenager. I belonged to a group that would talk to each other. We called ourselves the Feminist Kabbalist Collective. And we said, we always wanted to write a book called The Feminist Adept. I said, you know, and when the group broke up, I said, I will do this. So it must have been 20, 20, 30 years later that I said, you know, it's time to write this book. It took me 10 years to write. Mm. Uh, so it took it took a while because they're they're really big concepts, um, and and but I just had great fun with it, and I'm really happy that it exists. Well, I, I'd like to mention the structure of the book itself is also really unique, and you talk about that. I know in the book you talk about it being a three step movement of women's initiation that Carol Lee Flinders describes. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you came to that structure? Yeah, her book is really lovely, and it, I read it continually as I as I worked on this um, on this book. There's this idea that you um, you withdraw and transform and emerge, and this sort of cycle is what powers the book and what what powers women's magic. And I really love that. I really love that concept and that, that way of doing it. So I would do retreats, writing the book. I would go um, book a cabin somewhere and then do a piece of the book. And then I would come out in the world and I would talk to other people about what I was doing. And that that interaction of, of going in and creating and then coming out and, and working with other people is what kind of drove the, the conversation. Um, and I'll say one more thing about that too. I, while I was writing this book, I also edited the, the, but when I was doing the final, it wasn't 10 years, doing, doing the final write of this book, the final draft, I edited a book called Women's Voices in Magic. So I went to every woman that I knew that had something to say that I, I had really appreciated and made her write it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet and that they, was challenging. Was so They're like, you made me write. <laughs> It was wonderful because I, I, I generated this community of women who were all using our voices, and I was using my position to be able to augment that. And I'm, I'm really, really proud of that work. So in a, maybe briefly, it might be helpful to describe exactly what, you know, you do tackle in the book. Like, I mean, you, you tackle a lot, but there's definitely sort of an emphasis on certain things and, and that you seem to draw in history and ritual and your own experiences, but, but you definitely have in the different sections you have, it seems like some clear intentions. Yes. And, and the way the book proceeded was that I would do a little invocation and a spirit would come to me and, and guide me through that, that section. So I put the invocation at the beginning of each of the chapters. So I invoked lady history, lady tradition, lady, um, lady culture, lady magic essentially um and and each of each of these pieces illuminated another another step on the path it's it's basically an extended um an extended look at poetic look at how we think about gender in the magical traditions in the western magical traditions and then the first point that i made is that i'm a witch and a ceremonial magician and these things are related you can dive into witchcraft and do that your whole life and there are specific things to do with witchcraft and you can dive into ceremonial magic and do that your whole life and there's uh, specific lines that you do but they're all based on this substratum of magical understanding and part of that substratum is gender and so what i was doing was pulling out the gender piece and examining that and saying how does this work? How does it? Um, how does it? How does it pow empower us? And how does it restrict us? And what are the the aspects of that? And so that that was kind of the 
the whole point of the book, but I, I looked at it in these different ways. Gender is physical, biological. So lady science came in and talked. Lady history came in and talked and gave me some books. Because <laughs> she would. Um, lady culture came in and said, gender is a performance. <laughs> you know, so and 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 it's really fun too to look at it because the the conversation ten years ago th- this was this was really new. Now this is something that people are talking about, um, and and it's it's become much more part of the part of the general conversation. So I'm really excited about where our culture is going. That we're we're starting to assimilate some of these concepts. Yeah, you know, and I agree with you. I I was looking through the book again. I, I have a couple of areas I wanted to look at specifically, but I realized you really were ahead of yourself with this this book in a sense, and it's actually even more timely now. Um, I I really liked, and I'd marked it, bookmarked it, uh, that little, there's a little section called The Magician is a Man, and I just liked that whole little, there's a couple pages long, and there was uh, one quote I'll start with is um, from that is when the magician is imagined in a body at all, the body possesses a phallus. If a woman means to be a magician, she stands in the place of a man as a man. And when I read that, I was like, how come I never really noticed that? (laughs) And and I mean, I I didn't do a lot of ceremonial, ceremonial magic, but I did do some. And but it was like so obvious. And I love how you delve into that in detail and how you could remake that. So I'd like to hear your thoughts about that even now. Yeah, and I think you might not have done so much time with um, with the Lima and Ordo Templi Orientis. <laughs> it's very gendered, and there's a the, the main ritual, um, the the star um, the star ruby requires you to say, you know, soy o phalloi. And there's a whole huge conversation in the Thelema community about how the phallus is the um, organ of regeneration. It doesn't necessarily mean phallus like penis. Um, and all the women, you know, that I talked to, many women say, nope, it means penis. <laughs> I should acknowledge that, right? So it, it was very clear to me in doing this magic that um, that I was required to stand in a man's body. That in the Ordo Templi Orientis, which um, I don't, I'm not a current member, but I, I respect and support, right? So I don't mean to, to sound critical. This is just my experience, right? But I was, I was asked to call myself a man of earth. And there was a moment that I thought, you know, this is actually inducing gender dysphoria for me. <laughs> I'm not a man, right? So how do I navigate that? And that was part of what really drove this, um, me, me to write this book in that, that time period when I was really active in the OTO. Um, <clears throat> so that's, that's, that's why. But, you know, it's interesting because I talked to Golden Dawn people. I would go to Pantheacon and sit with the Golden Dawn um, women and, and talk about this. And they would say, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't really happen for us. Golden Dawn magic, it's, it's lots less um, in front of you mm. that, that the, the person, the, the default person is a man. It is built into the system, but it's, it's much less so. And part of the reason is that there's not so much emphasis on sex um, in general, that sex magic kind of belongs to the, the Lemic community. Mm. And the Golden Dawn was really sort of, the, the people who made the Golden Dawn were less um, sexual. Uh, Mathers and his wife, Moina Mathers, um, didn't, didn't have sex. <laughs> so it made less, less difference to them than it did to, to the rest of us. Well, it's interesting, too, um, when, you know, Alistair Crowley and his sort of reputation with the women in, in his life, um, one of the things things that's happening is they're getting more credit now. Like there's more research going on. And honestly, they, I mean, he gives them some credit, like particularly some of his Scarlet Women, things wouldn't have happened without them. You know, the book of the law would not have happened. And uh, and the fact that he gave Lady Frida Harris, who he didn't have sex with, you know, uh, really praised her 
in the Book of Toth was actually really amazing for Crowley and also for that time. That I think he he evolved over his life into a better person mm-hmm. in that way. Like, to, and that's how I was introduced to him as an older Crowley. Like, I mm-hmm. I went backwards. You know, I, I I saw the deck. That was the first thing I ever learned about him. But but the fact that um, you have to work back from that for sure. Yeah, so, and and that's this thing I really love the most about his work is the deck and and that you know she was equally part of it. So that that was kind of a different kind of sex magic he evolved into where that they're creating something together, a child, and they didn't have sex. And yeah. you know so you know maybe if Crowley came back in another body, which I suppose he could. Uh, maybe he would redo some of this ritual now. Maybe he would evolve into the next, you know, evolution of himself, you know, that, you know, because he was also a man of his time. You can't really blame some of those men for those periods. And, and also because he had such a, he was bisexual and all that. But um, I, uh, the other thing I did like in bringing up Crowley was that you talk about the formula in his mass and how you can change that, the the mother into the mother becomes the daughter and, uh, you know, these are things that seem like they could do today. Like, why wouldn't they be able to, like, accommodate it? It's still really part of the ritual. You're not really changing the intention of the ritual. or. Um, but I, I know I know it's hard with, 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 you know, people wanting to keep to rituals that were created by people. And when do you innovate? When do you not? What do you keep? What do you say that's not really helping these people? Um, but it seems like that's that some of that, if they wanted to, they could start, you know, at least having a for for women to feel more included, you know, in in the rituals. You know, it's interesting too because um, in writing about the mass in a book length work, I'm the only woman who's written about the Gnostic mass in a book length work. There are a few essays out there, but generally, if you're gonna if you're gonna read about the Gnostic mass. I'm it. And I, I, one of my ongoing messages to my sisters out there doing the masses, please write <laughs> like, because I get quoted, I get people, academics, like quote my work. And, and this is one person's, uh, you know, analysis. It's a, it's a, a knowledgeable analysis, but I'm not a ninth degree. I'm not a, one of the people who keeps the mass as a ritual. So I really think that, that women do need to write about that. But for as I as I toured the country like the last ten years talking to to people the the people who are gender questioning in the Thelemic community would come to my my um, workshops and say you know I'd really like to be able to switch roles in the mass I'd really like to to see the mass um, evolve and there there are two sort of directions that goes the first direction is that the institution of Ordo Templi Orientis is responsible to keep this ritual so they keep the ritual the ritual is going to go as it was written um, but there's a lot of innovation there are a lot of people who are writing new rituals Mm. and there's there's just a ton of different versions of the mass and different kinds of um, what are called sacramental rituals right so i think i think there is a lot of exploration and a lot of pushing and i also think that um in the next generation of of magicians the magicians who i was talking to who are the younger magicians they're going to come forward and do do new rituals i wrote i wrote a mass (laughs) why not right um and it's a, it's available on my website, and I would go to to festivals and do it. So so there is a lot of there's a lot of exploration of the idea of priest and and priestess and, and of the Gnostic Mass. I think I think all of these things are important. I think that's where the book went, right? Mm-hmm. Lady Tradition at, at the beginning, I, I went to Lady Tradition. This has got to change. And at the end, Lady Magic came along and said, "Yes, we're going to change this." And then Lady Tradition and I went to went to a, a bath, and she said, "You know, 
there's something to tradition. (laughs) (laughs) But I came back to, yeah, it's important. It's important to keep the tradition as well as to, to welcome innovation. I like both things. I like adding, right? So you, you keep what you've got and then you add new things to that. So the people who come after us can understand where this came from. The mass is still performed as Curly wrote it. And also there are the new things that, that meet our needs as we evolve as, as a culture and as magicians. Now, what's interesting about history and the Golden Dawn is there were really, in a way, more noticeable and well-known women magicians. You know, you have Dionne Fortune, you have uh, Florence Farr, you, yeah. and, and Moyna Mathers. And they were, in a way, you don't, I can't call out by name a woman magician right now. Like they mm. were known more in that circle. And they also, I think they're, they're also getting a little bit more credit too. But what, what happened, it, it started out well with women really being equal. I mean, in, in the magical world. And, and that's one reason I also like that period is because women were practicing magic with men when it were a time where a lot of groups didn't have men and women mixing, you know? Yes. So yes. that was really very uh, feminist type thing, if you think about it, you know, and, and Dion Fortune had a lot of respect in her life, you know, and, and she's, she called herself a magician. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I wonder, you know, in some ways, I mean, I, I know the archetype of the witch is very, very powerful. And I, I'm glad on some level because I, I would say maybe I identify with that a little stronger. But I go in and out of like wanting to do a little more with magic. But I, I want to get back to that point you were saying about making women right in magic. And I really agree with you. I haven't even written about things I know a lot about from my own experience in the tarot. And I said, why haven't I done that? I said, I said, well, you know, in some ways what I want to write, I know there's not really any role models for it. I'm not a scholar. I, but I know a lot experientially about the tarot. I, I've, I've literally worked with it for 20 years as my full profession. <laughs> and, and I said, so it's going to be a different kind of book for me. But I, I am curious because even like you're right about um, with the um, Crowley people, it's like you always see male authors writing about author uh, Crowley even now. And I always keep wondering, so, well, where, there must be women in there. Why aren't they writing a little book about something related, you know? And Whereas you'll see in witchcraft, you see a lot of women writing, you know, they're, they're, which is great. You know, they're, they feel free to write and they, they're supported. And I said the, mat, the, the more ceremonial, esoteric, magical world does seem still very masculine with writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And I, I encourage I encourage women to write. I think it's it's hard to write book length projects Being as a person who's only done five and, you know, in 20 years, that's really hard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a lot, but I encourage you to write. Um, it's one of the reasons that I did an anthology of just essays. Like if you have one thing to say and you can say it in 5,000 words, I will put that into print. And so that's one of the ways that we, we can get women in print. Um, there's a the Llewellyn book called The Complete Book of Ceremonial Magic that was edited by, by Tuthaly McMahon men by um, Lon Milo Duquette and uh, David Shoemaker. And they went out of their way to find women magicians to write biographies of women magicians. Ah. I'm really, I'm really proud of that. I'm really happy that they did that. So, so you see both things, you see the historical women and you see the women today who are, are writing and innovating in the field. And, and I have a, a piece in it too. They came and got me and I, I it, it's actually my favorite piece. It's called the future of ceremonial magic. And it is the best thing I've ever written. I'm really, I'm really, really proud of it. Wow. So, I didn't know that about that book. That's great that you told me yeah. I, I know that came yeah. out what the last year or something that that particular yeah. book 
the big purple. Yeah, the big purple one. <laughs> big purple it. book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, it, it is, and and I um I want to say too that women's communities in general, but O2 in particular, um, in the twenty years that I was involved, it really evolved and had women um women's conferences. So women would be encouraged to come and present and write papers, and that's that builds the infrastructure to build up uh, women's writings. So I, I continue to encourage my my sisters to go <laughs> write. No, another thing you, you, you mentioned in the book that I really liked was the idea that you just wanted to be in magic. You wanted to be your own person. You didn't want to be like, you know, the muse, the wife. And, and honestly, that even exists somewhat in witchcraft a little bit. Like the idea of me, I, I, I totally connected with that concept. I've been trying to figure out how can I just be me? Like, I don't want to just be Krista, the wife or Krista, who's sexy or Krista, who's the supporter. How do you just be uh, Krista, you know? And, and I love that, that, that you were struggling with that idea. And I like to know what you think about it now, because I definitely still struggle with that a little bit. Um, you know, just and how also people will sometimes, of course, put you in that position, you know, like, cause you remind them of something, you know, so how do you work with that? Oh yeah. When I was younger, I mean, I wrote a book about sex magic <laughs> and I would go do, I would aspect the goddess at festivals and, and men would come to me and say, Oh, you were so beautiful. I'm like, it was the goddess. It wasn't me. Right. But there is that, that sense that you get that, um, that beautiful, inspirational, sexy kind of thing projected on you. And I just realized, and this is a fun conversation. I just realized that when I wrote this book, I was still menopausal. I am now postmenopausal, mm-hmm. and that shift happens in what happens to women so women who are, are postmenopausal then drop out we we become invisible we're no longer interesting because we are no longer you know projecting that sexy um inspirational lovely image and we're only interesting actresses are only interesting insofar as they can still look young so what happens at that what happened for me at that moment was that other women came more sharply into focus and i have a completely different set of conversations now with women who have gone past menopause mm-hmm. that is um it's very interesting i'm gonna have to put that um we have to put that in the next iteration of the book for sure. Mm-hmm. So, so now I feel so. So, postmenopausal women have a lot more agency, partly because we drop back. We're no longer the male gaze is no longer projecting that sexy thing on us. Mm-hmm. Um, we become invisible, but that means that we can do our own work. So, I can actually be a person again. I feel a lot more like a person who can do my own work, like a man does. Now that I'm, I'm no longer like inhabiting that sexy position. Um, and I, I, I like it a lot. A lot of women are frightened of that because there's power in it. There's power in, um, in projecting sexuality. And that's what gets you, you noticed. And it's scary to lose that. But on the other side of it, there's this sense that I can now do my work without being interfered with. And I really like that. Yeah, I like that too. But I don't want anyone even to peg me as a crone. I, I don't like labels at all anymore. I said, you know, I don't want, I don't want to nurture you if I don't want to. Just because I'm older doesn't mean I'm your mother or grandmother. You know, just go away. You know, that's how I feel. Like, I only have so much time now. <laughs> so, so I, I, whereas when I was younger, maybe when I was first into the goddess, I love the triple goddess idea, you know, and now I was like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I just want to be whatever I want to be at whatever age. If I, if I feel like a teenager at 70, I'm going to act like it, you know? And, yeah. and that idea that, that, um, to me, I still feel like people can peg women with that too. And, and like, just assume like certain things about you. But I agree with that. You, you don't, uh, it is a relief. Um, 
And especially if you hang out with someone that's still in that kind of sexy period and you see some of the, the stuff they go through with some icky attention, you're like, oh, thank God I don't have that, you know. <laughs> and, um, I got so, whistled on the street and I, I looked at this boy. He was like a teenager. I think he mistook me for someone younger. And he just blushed beet reds. <laughs> And th- this is why women, men are afraid of, of postmenopausal women because we we embarrass them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just you know no more nonsense. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. just just and, you know. It's Robert Graves. Graves has a lot to ask answer for doing the maiden mother crone thing. And and my friend Lasara Firefox Allen wrote a book called Jailbreaking the Goddess, where she said, "Let's stop thinking about maiden mother crone and think about how the goddess moves in the world." And so she talked about different aspects of the goddess. And when oh. she did the release of her book, we we put an ad for woman magician in it um, to to try to promote that that idea that the goddess is more than just these three aspects. And we we can uh, map out onto more than just the the cycles of fertility in the goddess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what it's about, right? Maiden is like pre-sexual. Mother is like, oh, she's now having babies and is sexual. And crone is like, she's no longer sexual. And that doesn't map out onto my experience at all. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, actually, and some people, I think I that when they get older, especially that menopausal period, they get actually heightened sexuality, depending on what they had before. I was reading about this, like, like women that had given a lot during their life would tend to withdraw more sexually because they needed that energy. And then mm-hmm. there, there were other women that were expelling that energy more. They were just getting really kind of, maybe they never had or, and so it's, I think it's, it's good to not sort of have these sort of limitations. And, and also that leaves out, I feel like the maiden mother crone, I think about it, does leave out the warrior woman, which is kind of the spirit yeah. that I relate to probably the most as a person um, but in my own way too, because I, you know, I sometimes follow these warrior books, and some of them I agree with, and some of them I don't. But I'm a warrior, so I'm going to argue. <laughs> Durga, yeah. Another thing that's happened in the ten years since I wrote the book is that I've become a, a student of Sri Vidya and a tantric practitioner, and the the image of the goddess is so different. And it's extant for one thing. I mean, you go to India and people are, are worshiping the goddess everywhere. But there, there's the uh, mother never means um, someone who is his physically um, mothered a child. The goddess is called Ma because she's the mother of everything. And there are so many aspects. But Durga has three aspects, right? She has the the aspect of Kali, the destroyer. She has the aspect of Lakshmi, who's the, the traditional, you know, sexy, but also has a lot of power. She has uh, fertility. And then um, Sarasvati, who's who's the word and speech. And all of these things are just so empowering. They're, they're a whole different way of looking at women's energy and goddess energy. Um, and I, I think it's a, a very fruitful place for, for women to explore in the west so i wonder have you have you met durga have you met the goddess durga <laughs> no not durga no not really uh, i i've, I've more her. worked with like the morgan um so because of my irish background so that's like the more fierce but i you know we were talking about the 21 tars and uh at some point i'll probably be more interested in sort of the wrathful tar so that is probably one reason i always did relate to tara because <laughs> she has so many many aspects and and the 21 taras I, I i've tried to do some research with these very difficult books on tara but i didn't realize there's so many more taras and then trying to figure out which white tara is which white tara and and her oh. the depth of her history is just so vast you know but i always liked that she had such a multi-dimensional energy you know and none of them are made mother crone not one no you're right none of them are made mother crone yeah. <laughs> though i was thinking you know, after reading i was thinking about you know your thoughts about as a woman envisioning yourself as a man and then i thought well you know what's interesting is that 
a lot of male llamas, they love the Tara practice. They yeah. And I thought, I wonder how they feel. They, they must like it that they envision because Tara is, you know, a very female presence, even though she can have a wrathful look. And, and yeah, and then there's the, the one where she's in union. But, but it just made me think about how popular Tara is with the, the male llamas and how they maybe they like to envision themselves that way. Like it's not, it's just curious. I, I, I'm going to have to ask one of them sometime, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but let's get on to and spend a little time with your latest book. It's very, it's a really cool book too, Chord Magic, because it's one of those magics and she's holding it up for those of you who can see. It's a really nice cover too. I love all the curly cues. I love the cover. And it's just it, so beautiful. It really is. String, yarn, twists, and knots. And and it it seems like uh, if you once you get into any kind of um, practice with um, witchcraft, there, there's always something about cord magic. But it, it it seems to be less popular than say candle magic in popular culture. Uh, do you think that's true? Um, that more people know about like candle magic, and or is it because? Uh, people that make candles promote it, the retail of it, <laughs> which is not bad. <laughs> no, it's good. And actually, I did. I, I wrote another book. Um, this is my bestseller, Practical Magic for Beginners. And basically, it's all candle spells. Um, it, but it also talks about um, the the foundations of magic and how you come to to build your own ritual for your own purpose and that's what chord magic does too it does the same thing for chords i talk about number and color and timing and putting all of those things into a spell that just uses a little bit of yarn and then sets that intention i, I find that when i talk to, to people about chord magic that everybody knows that chord magic exists but the only thing that people really know to do is the nine knot spell and i said oh there's so much more you can do with chords it's so much fun so i, I wrote an entire book about it to sort of expand people um, horizons and I think it's going to it, it, I think it's going to be popular there's another book Llewellyn has another book um, coming out called Fiber Magic mm. Woman Who Knits is talking about doing that as a magic too and I talk a little bit about knitting and um, and other ways of making cords um, in, in cord magic so I think I think it's it's starting to be more popular it's it's clear that there's a there's a need for explanations about this yeah and uh, I'm curious do you um, know much about the history like where it started or why it you know what is behind the I was thinking does it connect to sailing because of all the ropes and knots or anything and I know sailors can be superstitious or where does it really come from. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, I will try not, I'll try to limit my answer here, but I did, I wrote a little, um, a little chapter on history. Cord magic is as old as people. The, the essential way to make a cord twists two, two threads together and then bends them back on each other. So they form a, a solid link. And that's something that the Neanderthals taught homo sapiens. I mean, it's hugely old mm. and uh, we continue to find little traces of cords and dyes and caves and things. Um, so we've been doing, we've been doing cord magic as long as we're human. And there's lots and lots and lots of examples of cord magic all over the world. And everybody knows something. I mean, I, I bet, you know, um, at least one cord magic that, that you can talk about. Everybody knows about the red cord, the Kabbalah chords. Yes. That, that Madonna became. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's really, really old and a very, it's a foundational magic actually. Hmm. And so can you give maybe like a little example of something from your book as to um, an example of using chord magic that people might not know about? I, um, I talk about the ways that the, the reasons that people use magic and there, there's really, um, 
over time, over culture, there are just a few fundamental human needs that we turn to magic for. We turn to magic for protection. We turn to magic for health. We turn to magic for love. Those are, those are really the things that we, um, we look to magic for. And you can make a court to set an intention for any of those things. So I've got an entire chapter on intentions, how you, how you build them. And then you just twist the cord saying a thing that you want. Um, an example is my, my husband um, is in a wheelchair, so I, I still have to do this. <laughs> I intend to make him a cord that um, built in protection for him in the wheelchair so that he's safe in the wheelchair and also for his continued health. And I will pick the right colors. So I'll probably use green for healing and perhaps red for protection and twist those into the court and wrap it around his wheelchair. I've done this for a lot of people who are um, older and they really appreciate having something that they can look at and say, oh, look, someone loves me and wants me to be healthy and protected. That's really cool. Yeah, you're right. Something physical reminds them of it. And of course, it has your energy in it, too, which I totally, totally believe is important people's energy and things. And um, so one of my other questions was, um, once you're done with the cords, do you just let them disintegrate on their own? Or are there certain things you do according to the magic? Because I mean, one of the things in magic that I've often really struggled with is how to sort of get rid of things that were magical objects, or you don't want you want to be environmentally correct, you want to make sure that it's done in a magical way. So is that part of your core magic book? Yeah. If you're going to make magic, you have to, you have to deal with the issue of disposal. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to. Um, and I can't tell you how many cords I've found that I'm like, what was that for? I don't really know what that was for anymore. <laughs> it's clearly done its use. So, so you can do a little um, cleansing where you take the energy off of the fabric and then take the fabric and put it into something that you're recycling. I, but Goodwill takes um, cloth and recycles it into rags. And so I, I, I give them old clothes and I just take my old cords once I've stripped the energy off of them and I put them in the Goodwill bags because they're usually small. This one's a, um, a cord I made um, for, uh, for air, for an air protection. So it's pretty small. So ah. I would cut it to uh, open the energy and uh, strip, strip it of its energy and then put the, the threads themselves into the, the Goodwill oh. Recycle. And thank you for thinking about that because it is, it's, a, it's a hard thing to, to figure out what to do. And you, these, are, these are so easy to make. They're mm. so simple. Right. You can make them for so many purposes. You can end up, as I have done with like lots. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. That's like a, it, for people that are listening, it's like a yellow, almost braided kind of looking shorter cord. It looks really, really nice. I love the color. Now, now, have you gone through different phases with, with what kind of uh, material you like to use and experiment? And do you find like certain things work better in terms of just working with it, you know, to, because obviously it's tactile and, and all that. Yeah. And when I was writing the book, I actually stopped and took a year off because I encountered the ethics of fabric and they're very difficult. You can, you can grow your own food. I know a lot of people who, who do that locally grow at least part of their own food and some people who only eat what they grow. It's impossible to do that with fabric. Mm. Fabric was why we, we had the industrial revolution because people could only grow enough or, or, or um, they could only make one or two outfits for their, their lifetimes. So we now have really cheap fabrics that we can, we can just change um, as we like. But it has a huge environmental impact, impact on plants and on animals. So for cord magic, I, I, I thought about this. I wrote like 
30,000 words <laughs> on the ethics of fabric stopped and said, let's just say a few things about this for your cord magic in particular, you're only going to use a little amount. And so you can go to a yarn store and find a, a wool that has a picture on it of the, the sheep that actually gave the wool <laughs> and what farm it's from. And that's a really ethical way to, to build, uh, build your cord magic. So you can, since you're using very small amounts of fab- fabric, you can afford to, to get, the, the really expensive fibers. And so it, it just depends on what you like. Um, I use synthetics. I use a lot of, this one's a synthetic. The, the yellow one mm-hmm. is actually acrylic um, because it's made from cellulose byproducts, which is actually a way to use them up. Mm. And also the other, the other advantage of this is that I can take it and I can wash it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> well, if you put it in the washing machine, it will felt. So you can't, you can't wash them. So I make a lot of things out of acrylic because I can just, I can just wash them. So there's a whole chapter in the book about how you can look at what you would like to, what the qualities of fibers are, and then you can choose whatever fiber, you know, speaks to you. And I don't make any judgments, whatever, whatever choices you make are your choices in, in terms of fiber, it's, we've got a lot of uh, difficult choices. So whatever you do is, is fine. Yeah, it, it's the more you look into the ripple effect of everything, it becomes almost impossible not to do some harm, you know. So the way I do it is I, I, I'm as conscious as I can possibly be. And then I also have the intention in my mind to someday do more if I'm not capable. This is all I'm capable of. I say, well, someday I'm going to be capable of more. <laughs> That's how I, I, I know I have limitations in a sense. And um, but it, it becomes quite tricky, uh you know, what, you know, like with sage now. And um, for me, I, uh, it has to do with crystals. Like I've been thinking a lot more about how crystals are harvested. Should we be taking any more or not? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm asking these questions and sometimes the caves are more beautiful that you go to visit. If you go to visit where, because the idea that everything has in my mind, consciousness and i'm you know we're mm-hmm. disrupting the crystal beings or if we want to call it and I, I don't have a lot of crystals but i never thought about that when i first bought them now i do so i don't i haven't really been buying any but i don't judge people i, I just this is me this is my own journey with it you know that's it's, right i want to be i i think magic in general and spirituality one of the ways you can see you're growing is you really do become more aware of ripple effects in your own world like wow what if i go buy fa- fabric you know what's happening here and, and that's one way to sort of an- analyze if you're actually having an effect is that you yourself expand in your awareness mm-hmm. yeah i absolutely agree i think that that's really true and one thing that I, I talk about in the book, too, is asking people to make their own decisions about things. So I give examples for what meanings, uh, what color meanings are. But I also give charts that list out colors and say, what's the meaning for you? Now that you know your meaning, you can choose that in, in the chords that you make. So I'm a very big proponent of, of finding out what, what things mean to you and making space for people to have their own experience of magic. Well, and that, that's going back to the idea a little bit of sort of tradition versus like, you know, your own experience. And and I was thinking about the fact that we're putting together like the Chord Magic book and The Woman Magician. I said, well, in a way, Chord Magic is a very feminine energy. Naturally, if you think that generally speaking, you know, you'll see there are more women that use that knit and use yarn and not to say that men don't now or that they don't want to. And <laughs> and so it has a, a natural, except for when I was thinking about sailors, I was like, well, they, you know, they have the knots. And yeah. I remember trying to learn cl- and climbing all the different difficult knots. Oh, yeah. And and I, I was not good at it, but I, I was really like <laughs> envious of people that would 
make all these really beautiful knots. Like, how'd they do that? And to me, that was kind of magical at the time. And, and it was when you're climbing, you, you definitely want to know how to do knots, right? Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's kind yeah. of a masculine version of, of cord magic. <laughs> And it, for this culture too, uh, uh, women knit and women sew. In other cultures, I've I've traveled the world, and there are places where only women weave, or there are places where only men weave. And the men were like, "Women can weave." I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> so it really varies from culture to culture. Oh, that makes sense that. too. So, would yeah. weaving be part of cord magic? Like, if you were into like weaving, and or is that something that you could you know do in terms of just the actual act of of weaving um yeah. as a magical I'll show you this act one. i made this as a um this is a, a four square but it's just the four elemental squares and i made it on a little hand loom there they sell them little they're called peg looms mm. um, and it's a great way to use up your your ends of yarns <laughs> ah Use, use weaving um, and knitting in your cord magic. And in cord magic, I describe a way to make a cord that takes about a minute. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I described it to you a little bit. You twist the, the cord and then fold it back on itself. And I also have a, a video on my YouTube channel, brandywilliamsauthor.com. Um, there's a YouTube video that shows it to you. I also described it in the book and it took me, <laughs> it's the most complicated thing to write. It was like, how do you, how do you take something that's so simple and describe it? But um, but yeah, so you can you can set your intention in anything that you knit or anything that you weave. Cord magic, the thing I love about doing this little twist thing that makes rope, that makes string, is that you can do so many of them and do them so quickly. I mean, it takes me um, it takes me four or five hours to knit a hat. So I when I start the knitting, I set the intention, this is going to be a hat, and it's a, a warm hat to keep my friend warm. And then I watch TV. You know? <laughs> five hours of knitting is a long time to keep an intention. <laughs> oh, for sure. And well, I, I think you can relax. One of the things I personally experience with when I do an intention in life is if I I put it out and really let it go completely out of my mind, it has more of an effect. Mm -hmm. If I try to like kind of push it more, like I keep thinking and keep thinking. And, and I think there are different techniques for magic, but maybe because of my astrology, that particular technique works the best for me, like because I have a lot of water and uh, we were talking about the elements and someone had asked me because they they also are cancer if they should live by water and i was like yes you should it's true I, I you do love water if you're a water sign i mean at least i have found i swim i, I take long baths i like just being by water it makes me just feel like me you know and uh and of course you can do it if you lack it too that you can but you might not be initially comfortable i would think so um, maybe different types of magic, um, different, because I, I think there are things that people just constant, co concentrate and concentrate and it works for them to create it. But I like, I don't know why it just works better for me if I just completely let it go. Once I put it out, the intention, I just forget about it, you know, so, so it probably depends on your, you know, how you work as a person. But yeah, keeping that intention that long, I don't know, maybe a... <laughs> I'm one of those llamas could do it because <laughs> they do such long meditations, you know? Yeah. So now um, with the, the cord magic, uh, is it something that you think in terms of the effect, is it good to wear it or carry it or does it matter depending on the, the, what you're doing with it, you could hang it nearby or what, what is your um, experience with that? Yeah, and and you're um, you're starting to explore that is is what cord magic is about. As I talk to people about it, I find that it sparks people's creativity. Like, oh, you know what I could do with it? I could. So this one, I've been making a, a set of cords to just put in my house as elemental wards, so I can put it on the wall. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I uh, I went to the park with uh, my my group. Isis Nephthys Temple of Sisters of Sashada started to meet again. We're meeting in the park, and we're about to start another whole set of the initiations. And so I, I, I showed them cord magic, and women made cords and then wrapped them around my, their wrists. I see my uh, my sister again um, last week, and she's still wearing it, right? So that was cool. Or I could take this one, and I could put it in my pocket. Um, one, one thing I like to do is um, I, I will make a, a cord for protection and put it around something like I can uh, make a protection for my luggage and then put it around my luggage handle. And mm. it serves two purposes. It protects the luggage. And also as it comes off the, um, off the luggage, ah, you can see it. The baggage thing. You can see it. Yeah. It's like, Oh, there's mine. Yeah. Yeah. So there are lots of ways that you can, I'm wearing uh, this, this, uh, this string for the, for the pendant is a cord that I made um, to to do to talk about cord magic. Actually, it gives me the the sort of energy of teaching. And when I put it on, I'm like, okay, now I'm talking about cord magic. And then I can take it off and go off and be some other brandy, <laughs> which is very helpful. Yeah, no, it, it, it's one of those things too. In in magic, it's nice to have something to do. Sometimes, like one time, I took just for fun. I took. Um, a course with someone who taught us how to make our own shields. It wasn't like a really complicated one. And it was so much fun to actually do something together in a group that was crafty. Because, yeah. you know, like for me, a lot of ritual is the mind and the, maybe the body, but to actually do something and, and that would be available for at least, the you know, a lot of people could do cords. Like it's not difficult, it sounds like. Yeah, there. My husband can't use his hands so well anymore, so he'd have trouble with it. But he can hold an end while I make the cord with him. Mm-hmm. So almost anyone can. You can attach it to them if they can't move. Otherwise, you know, if you can move your hands, that's all it takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is fun. It's really fun to go out with your friends. I I've done a lot of workshops where I just buy a a, a whole lot of not expensive yarn and throw it out to the group and show them how to do it and say, okay, go make cords and watch people fill a meadow and just make cords with each other. It's just fun. I love it. Now, um, you recently just put this book out and you are going to re-release uh, a version of The Woman Magician. You said it was going to be the 10th anniversary this year. When, when would that be? So um, this this book, um, you said it was ahead of its time, and I think it was, actually. I mean, it went out and um, and it, it went out of print relatively quickly. So it's physically really not available. Um, Llewellyn does this really great thing. They're very, very clean about it when they, they take a book out of print. So I have um, two books in print with them and two books out of print. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they give me all of the rights back, including the ebook. They oh. This is all yours. And they give me the option to buy the print run. So with Love of the Gods, I wanted that book, and I kept, I bought the print run, and it's in my <laughs> it's in a storage unit. Um, with Woman Magician, there was an error in the book. I had misquoted another writer, mm. and I didn't want to push that forward in time. So I let them go ahead and shred that. And so what I want to do with it is issue a 10th anniversary ebook. It gives me a chance to go back over the material. And I, I think you're right. I think it's more the time that the, the book um, can kind of find its audience. People have picked it up like you did and go, oh, wow, that was a great book. I, you know, I read that a while back. Um, but I, uh, there are a lot of things that are in, in the news that are in this book now. So I'm very excited about, um, about reissuing it and talking about the conversations I've had with people in the 10 years since it came out and how the, our idea of gender has changed. Yes, a lot, especially just the last couple of years, I would say, the conversation, at least publicly, the conversation is really getting very interesting. I did want to mention that Dawn Hubbs said that your book is The Woman Magician is Amazing. She's on our chat. And so thank, oh, thank you, you for contributing that <laughs> Somebody, thought. Yay. This <laughs> one, I get so excited when I pe- people read it. I'm so, it it's, a, it's a labor of love, this one. Well, it has a lot of ritual in it, too. That That's, you know, there is quite a bit of ritual actually in it as well. And um, so I think that that 
can be really useful right now too. And 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 like I said uh, earlier when we were talking earlier, it's, I don't think anyone has even now done something like this. So that's why it's it's going to be you know I think it could be a classic in some ways just because of then you you really do cover a lot of ground in it you know very well I thought you know so it's a very thorough interesting but also um well you know how it is with metaphysical books sometimes the writing isn't so great and it the information <laughs> is <laughs> you know I that, that's why I really like Dion Fortune I, I like her writing <laughs> you know but it's not always the case I'm like making myself read this like I know I need this but <laughs> so it's nice when you can read you know a book well it's a well-written book there seem to be two different skill sets you know because <laughs> and I, I laugh because I'm an editor too I edit people's books and and it, it can take a lot to to bring a, a book-length project to something that and and it's not like the first draft of my books, you know, some of my books have not been so great, right? It takes a it takes a village. It takes editors to help you bring the the book to where it was. And my my editor, Alicia Gallo at, at Llewellyn, she really helped shape Love uh, Woman Magician in Love with the Gods. She really did a, a great job with it. Um uh, oh, I want to talk about the ritual. I said there was something you said that I wanted to come back to. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the the book, Lady Magic um, creates a magical order called the Sisters of Sashat, which is a sororal order rather than fraternal for, of, of brothers. This is a, an order of sisters of Sashat, who's the Egyptian comedic goddess of writing and language. Um, and I wrote a, a series of initiation rituals. So I have a, a temple, the Isis Nephthys Temple of Sisters of Sashat. And it's, uh, it's in its fourth iteration, I think now. We like come together and do the rituals and then everybody goes home because they're five rituals. So, you know, mm-hmm. you can work through them and there are no prerequisites. I really love this about this. There are no prerequisites. You don't have to like sign up. You don't have to give anybody money. You don't have to have done a certain study. You just do them. Um, and women can come together and do them in a bootstrap. You can like act as an officer and then you can go through the initiation. That's how we started it. Um, now I'm, uh, the sisters of Sashat, uh, Isis Nephthys Temple is now working on a group initiation version. So we have three officers who have gone through the rituals and I'm writing a version where people, ju- we take all the candidates and do them simultaneously instead of one at a time. Oh, I did that at Pantheacon, I did it at a, a pagan festival. I did the lunar, the moon initiation and I had like 30 women. There were three of us officers and we just took them around and did the initiation. And so it lets the powers move through you and then you can have that experience. So I'm, uh, I'm going to put that in the, the next iteration of the book. And I think that might help people do it. Uh, other other groups have have taken it up and worked to do it, but um, it, it's a bit of a commitment to take three women or five women or seven women sequentially through five initiations. It's a lot. It is. That that is a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I know having done it, right. So so I'm I'm working on um, simplifying that. But I I really love it because when when we get into the temple, um, it's just a different. It's just a different way of, of working when all of the, the voices are, are women's voices. It's just really fun. I want to say, too, about, um, about the rituals that anybody who, says, who, who identifies as a woman can do them. There aren't any um, restrictions around that either. So when I did the, the moon initiation at Pantheacon, I left, there was a guard at the door, so people didn't walk in during the ritual, but I told the, the person who was guarding the door, anybody who wants to come in can come in. Um, so there, there, it's a completely inclusive um, thing as well. So, so what is your view, since we're talking about ritual and, and also modern times, um, it does seem like there are, are people, I think Lon was starting to do some ritual online, 
And because initially because of the pandemic, but also I, I believe he thinks that there may be a good reason to be doing some initiations and in ritual online versus in person. And so what is what is just your views about both like right now? In person, Ron Duquette was doing initiations online. I don't know if it was initiations. It was a ritual, or we at least talked about maybe it's something that we should consider in the magical world for a variety of reasons. And it was, of course, instigated by pandemic. Um, oh, yeah. At least that's what oh, I recall. Yeah. I know it was it was something he he did some sort of a ritual with past life. Um, oh. Yeah, and he said it was very successful. And I mean, we were just, you know, that's what I remember him talking about. And I thought it was an interesting idea. And again, mixing the idea of like tradition and, and innovation. And so where would where do you stand on that? Yeah, I mean, and during the pandemic, all of us had to, to go to um, really creative ways to handle that. And my coven, um, which met in person, one of us decided not to quarantine with us. So we had to go online. And so I wrote a whole version of the coven ritual that that allowed us to be uh, and, and there were a lot of considerations about it. I wrote a, a Pathos blog about it, I think. So so you can go look at it. My Pathos blog is Star and Snake, if you get interested in it. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, and and I found that it was very effective to work online. And also the the tantric teachers. I, I worked. Uh, I did a class with Lopan Chandra Easton of the Tara Mandala, where she did the white Taras, and she would pass us the mantra initiation by speaking it live during a Zoom session. And my my Sri Vidya teacher does Zoom sessions. That's that's how she she works. And I've done a lot of mantra initiations with her there. So I know that they are very effective and very powerful. I I think that we're just at the beginning of exploring that, and there may be another magical sense that allows us to connect through these mediums um but then people who are psychic you know more about this than me i'm sure people who are psychic have connected across time and across space for a long time it's just that the the technology allows us to see each other while we're doing it or listen to each other while we're doing it that's very true I, i i recently had the experience i went to the buddhist group that i go to occasionally and they did a mix of zoom and in person and i i personally didn't like the mix because mm-hmm. um, you didn't know where to put your attention. Like if it was only Zoom, you'd just do your attention, your energy. And what I found was the energy was was awkward. And it could also just be, you know, but I thought I kind of like one or the other. And, and maybe that's also because I have to, you know, figure out where I stand on Zoom and in person. And also, you know, I was sort of saturated with in-person teachings. when And, and, and so that made a big impression on me. So, but I, I think it... it it does have, you can reach a wider audience and also people that maybe it's not a pandemic. What if they're shut-ins, you know, what if they are isolated? What if in their community, there's nothing like that, you know? So that's a consideration if you ask me. And so it's, it's just an interesting time with all of this. Yeah. And um, actually the pandemic made opportunities available to me that wouldn't have before. So there was a, a, a OTO body in Austria that was interested in bringing me over to Austria to present. And with the pandemic, they said, why don't we just put her on a Zoom session? And that was awesome. I got to present to that group and it was an international audience. So it, it, it does make opportunities available. And I think that we should hang on to that. Yeah. I think that that's a really good thing, especially because we want to start um, start easing up on our carbon footprint. Maybe we don't need to travel so much if we can do Zoom conferences. We don't have to put everybody in a hotel. We can, that's a we great, can- that's a good point, actually. I didn't think of that. Yeah, it helps because remember when Mother Earth was doing so, so well when we were all right? shut yeah. down and everything was animals were coming to 
open places and pollution was you could you see know. the Himalayas again yeah They're, you know when I went to to India I couldn't see them uh, except from the airplane because they were shrouded in smog and the Himalayas cleared out so this is something that we want yeah no I, I love that point that's an excellent point actually uh, I, I hope my only fear, and it's just a fear, is that some of the newer people, because I think if you've gone to in-person rituals, you're going to want to do that sometimes. I, yeah. My only fear is people never doing anything in person that can do it. Like, they're just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't believe. I, I, I go to the park. I, I took my husband in, in, uh, to the park yesterday, and we're sitting and looking at the water, and there are all these cars sitting and looking at the water, and people are looking at their phones. There's water. <laughs> yeah, that's that's still an issue that the addiction to the screen, you know, and 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 yeah. believe me, I love screens. We're all, we have yeah. a show, but I, I don't have that addiction. I, I just grew up in a different time, so it's it's just easier yeah. for me. It's it, you know, it was awkward even to get involved in technology, but I do love a lot of it. So I, I'm I I have a different muscle that I built, you know, I come from a time where we had typewriters <laughs> so, <laughs> and I still have my typewriter and, you know, and, and letters. I still, I still miss, I always go on about this. I miss letter writing. <laughs> yeah. My, my yogini sisters and I send each other physical cards and they're young too. So it's, it's really, it's not, it hasn't left the world altogether. No cards are actually a good way to get into it. Cause p- people generally love to get a card. I mean, mm-hmm. all ages, people will go on about that. So you're right. It hasn't, there are young people that like cards and letters too, but, but it is, it's just a different world. You know, that's how it is. Who knows what it's going to be like in, in, you know, 50 years too. But, um, so we're getting a little close to the end and I just wanted to see if there's anything you wanted to sort of leave people with about magic, about your own thoughts, about where things are heading, anything at all. I think um, one of the things that I really hope people do is to continue to have hope for the future. As I was writing about the future of magic and talking to people, I know that people are very hope- hopeless and feeling that there there are huge consequences to the world that we can't fix. And I, I want to, to let us know that we have a lot of power um, personally and collectively. And continuing to focus on the the positive things that we can do to move toward a future where the the world recovers and um, the that life recovers I think that that's really important for all of us to keep in front of us for for our own hope and also to image that that future together to make it happen I love that that's actually a really good point especially coming we're still sort of in some of the pandemic still and there definitely was a lot of depression and more mental illness mm-hmm. because of the isolation and the fear and so um, magic can help us with all of that. And it's not fantasy. It, it, it really can. And as can spirituality. Now people can reach you is the best place, your website, um, to reach you. Yeah. Brandy Williams, author.com will point you at all of my, um, all of my platforms. I'm on Facebook as Brandy Williams author on Instagram as Brandy Williams author. The only thing, the only outlier is the Pathos blog, star and snake. Um, but if you put Brandy Williams star and snake, you'll, you'll get it. Uh, but I also blog regularly on my, on my website, Brandy Williams author.com. I did want to mention, I did look at the one you were, it was about um, writing that you had the advice you gave. I, I, I read about two thirds of it and it was really helpful, actually. <laughs> I wanted to tell you that. I didn't have time to look through the whole blog, but that one caught my eye for some reason. I said, oh, I'm going to read that one. And mm-hmm. and it, it was helpful. So I, I think that I would encourage people to check out your, your blog as well. I will just say um, as a fan of The Woman Magician, so I bought this book before I ever 
met Brandy. I've only met her this year and I like, you know, I'm a big reader and I just love it. It's just really very readable too. And I, I'm glad you're going to re-release it. I, I encourage anyone that's interested in anything with magic could, could benefit, but particularly anyone interested in understanding the women in magic and sort of what's been going on and the history and how we can, you know, change things for the better for everybody because it's going to be good for men too. Thank you so much for having me, Krista. You're most welcome. And, and thank you so much for coming back. And thank you all for listening in. We look forward to journeying with you more on our next episode. So stay safe and we'll see you next week. <laughs>